everybody. Welcome to episode 26 of the podcast that goes Nick. I'm your host, Jason Minimal, and I know for a fact I'm setting a bad precedent for a pace that I will not be able to keep by putting an episode out every week this month. But there's just too much exciting stuff going on. This week we have a major kind of turning point in the age of Ultron that actually makes me love it. I couldn't wait to talk about it, so I will also go ahead and do all every, everything that came out this week. So, um, anyway, hope you enjoy. All right, here we go. Okay, so first up, we have Savage Wolverine number four. Savage part four. This is written and drawn by Frank Cho. Jason Keith is the colorist. VC's Corey Pettit is the letterer. And then Cho and Keith did the cover. We have another cool cover, keeping with the theme of the first three covers. We have a muted, kind of monochromatic background. We have a skull in the jungle, Shannon the She-Devil in a shallow pool, a side silhouette of Man-Thing, and then busting out of all that, we have a full-color Wolverine kind of kneeling on one knee and his claws extended in rage. It's a pretty awesome cover. I like it quite a bit. So remember, we, we have people being mysteriously drawn to the Savage Land. Shannon and her S.H.I.E.L.D. team were stranded there. And we find out that there's a, a civilization there or a tribe guarding this temple that has a machine that's keeping this ancient evil being in prison, so to speak. And then Shannon, of course, was mortally wounded and Wolverine was tossed off a cliff. And the, the tribe knows of a way to try to heal Shanna. So we, we open up the issue and the tribe and the chief and Amadeus Cho carrying Shanna's body through the jungle and they come across a man thing kind of turned into a tree he's got like a little shallow pit in front of him and this pit was really nice because they show the, the tribesmen kind of carrying Shanna's body up the steps and you see a very subtle like not a lot of attention drawn to it but if you pay attention you can really see the nice, like, blood drops as they're moving Shannon's body up the stairs. It's cool. So Amadeus Cho talks about something with the Thunderbolts and how this can't really be Man-Thing. Not exactly sure what he's talking about because I don't really read Thunderbolts. I'm assuming he's referring to the last series. I'm pretty sure Man-Thing is not the new Thunderbolts with Punisher and Venom and all that stuff. But maybe the, the team that disappeared in the time stream or whatever. But his AI suit, Calvin, tells him that no, oh, well, I guess there must be more than one man thing, because we have one. So they put Shanna's body in the shallow pit, and the chief says some stuff, probably an ancient ritual stuff, about Mother Earth. We need you. We call on you. Give us some power. May your water of life flow in her. And he stabs the man thing tree in the face, and this liquid starts spurting out. It's like a glowing green blood, alien blood looking stuff. And it gradually covers up Shanna until the pit is filled and she's completely submersed. And that's a really cool panel. You have like three small squares of Shanna at the top, like her face. And then mostly covered in green and then all but her forehead and nose covered. And then you see the whole picture in the middle of just the man thing and the goop and the pit. Then you see a whole square of just green on the other side of the page. Then with one bubble and then a bloop bloop of some breath. And then you get the next page is four squares of her gradually rising her head out of the water. And then a full figure 
of her emerging from the slime and the blood or whatever. Then you have some slime dripping down her boobies, her cleavage, but she's checking her wound and it is gone. She's completely healed. But I guess she's disoriented because she attacks the chief who just healed her. And then she gets mad and questions who everybody is, the chief and Amadeus Cho. Amadeus Cho says he's a freelance. Oh, he says, uh, now listen carefully. I need you to focus and answer me honestly. Do you know who won the Super Bowl? And she's like, what? <laughs> and Cho's like, it was worth a shot. <laughs> you know, you just crossed over. You you saw things, right? Help me make some money. <laughs> but he introduces himself as a freelancer. And she's like, a freelancer or what? He says, science. So she wants to know where Wolverine is. And Someone, either the chief or Cho off panel, ask her how she feels. She's like, she says she feels great. And they tell her she died. She's like, what? They're like, yeah, you died in the battle, but the life force of the Savage Land runs through you now. You were bonded with it. As long as the Savage Land lives, you shall live. And it turns out she knows everything about the Savage Land, including its languages. So that's why she can understand them. Of course, Cho has the, uh, translator through Calvin. That's why he can understand and speak with the tribe. But he goes, <laughs> Cho interrupts and says, she can read the brochure later, chief. Which I think is funny because I'm pretty sure Cho, from what I've read of him so far in this book, would call anybody chief. Like He'd be the kind of guy that'd be like, hey, whoa, chief. Just to anybody. He'd be the guy that would call people chief. But now he's actually saying it to a real chief. It is, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but it struck me as pretty funny. And so they start explaining, talking about the dampening field. And Shannon says that her and Wolverine's plan was to blow up the machine so they could escape. And then Joe's like, well, no, actually, it's kind of serving as a cell, a jail cell for an ancient, evil, unstoppable power. So we don't really want to blow it up until we know a way to replace the energy without the dampening field. He starts talking about how they need so much energy. It would basically be three high-yield hydrogen bombs. And then they hear a, a horn alarm. They all know that Wolverine has just penetrated the perimeter. And we get a nice, almost full page of Wolverine jumping at the, the guards, the temple guards. He says, subtlety was never my plan. I want them to see me coming. And he's exacting vengeance on the tribe for killing Shanna in the battle. Of course, he was thrown off a cliff. He doesn't know she's re resurrected. So we get like a whole page of him slicing through Cavemere, which is pretty cool. Pretty savage. This issue definitely lives up to its title. But and then we get a nice panel where we see the ground. Then we see a guy drop on the ground. And then we see him completely on the ground as Wolverine walks by. That, that was a really cool sequence. And there's one warrior lady left and she's still blowing her horn. And Wolverine's like, you can give up now. No one else is coming. You can run away now. And then we open up to a double page spread of the great apes of the temple. We have three giant gorillas running out of the temple. Wolverine's like, oh, cripes. <laughs> this is a fantastic panel. The giant gorillas look much cooler and more menacing than they should. And they look pretty awesome for, you know, just being giant gorillas. So then we get this. We have so a total a two-page spread here that looks awesome. And we get three whole pages of multi-panel of Wolverine fighting these giant gorillas, including slicing off some gorilla fingers, stabbing some gorilla eyes, and they just kind of beat each other to crap, and he eventually takes them all down, but that's three whole pages of just Wolverine gorilla action with lots of nice panels and lots of nice shots. It's really, really cool. If you're not buying this series, you should go buy this issue just for those well, really, I guess five pages if you count the double page spread as two. So you have that and then three pages full of Gorilla Wolverine action. And that's worth the whole price of the comic. It's really, really cool. Really awesome. R very well drawn. The art, as usual for Frank Cho, is, is pretty awesome. So then we see Shanna running through the jungle and we see Wolverine enter the temple and he sees this big... You know, kind of, I don't think they're going to say that it is. But it kind of looks like a ghost box from Astonishing X-Men. That little thing that Warren Ellis, remember the Warren Ellis storyline? Kind of is similar to that. Or, you know, any kind of like black box or whatever. So Wolverine reaches into his pouch. It's pretty awesome. He's, 
he got beat up pretty bad by the gorilla, so he has his pants on and his cowl, but no shirt. <laughs> but the cowl remained intact. It's like draped around his neck like he's wearing a little hood. It was kind of funny, but kind of cool. You see Wolverine reaching into his pouch to pull out the explosive. And right as he's about to place it on, Shanna throws a spear as she's yelling at him to stop. And she hits him with a nice chuck up against the wall. And Wolverine's like, unbelievable, in the same damn hole. And Shanna's like, Wolverine, I'm sorry. And he's, of course, surprised to see her. And he again says, ugh, never going to heal right. Because he keeps getting stabbed in the exact same place. He's like, I saw you die. She's like, I got you better. Or I got better. Long story. Nowadays, Cho comes in. Holy crap. And he kind of bends over like he's exhausted and out of breath. He's like, can you run fast? Apparently, she was going 52 miles per hour on uneven terrain. And he again introduces himself to Wolverine as Amadeus Cho, freelancer of all things science. And fellow prisoner of the island, we just dodged a bullet. Then we get the machine pulls in another... The theory is the Wolverine of the tribe have or whatever is that the machine pulls in beings. Or the alien is not complete. Like he's captured, he can't get out, but he calls people to him to try to set him free. But... And in the past, those people have all been defeated by the tribe, and I guess this time Wolverine and Amadeus Cho just aren't aren't doing as requested. So on the last full-page spread, we see that the newest person called is the Hulk. And Frank Cho's Hulk looks pretty sweet, and we know that we're going to get some nice Hulk-Wolverine fighting in the next issue, so that'll be cool. Alright, this is still a really... Kind of returns to the very pulpy idea of issue one. Uh, all four issues have had it somewhat, but I feel like one and, and this one, number four, have had the strongest sense of, of kind of pulp action adventure. Yeah, Jason Keith. His colors are really good. There's a part of me that feels like the tone of this story would be really, really sweet. You know... Uh, I'm going to say something and then not really mean it or, or, or immediately contradict it. I think there's part of me that would like to see an, a version of this story that was in black and white and gray tone with certain things colored. I think the pit, the se- sequence of Shannon and the pit being covered by the green goo, like if everything was black and white except for the man-thing blood or the Savage Land juice or whatever it is, like if you still had that nice and bright green, and by the way, the color on that looked awesome. So Keith did a really good job on that. But if everything was black and white and then you had that in the bright green, that would look really, really cool. It'd be kind of Sin City-ish, I guess. But it would still look awesome. But at the same time, I would only... You know, at, at first I was going to say it'd be cool if the series was like that, but I also think it'd be cool to have that as like an alternate version because the colors through this whole ser- series so far have been pretty awesome. And I wouldn't want to lose that. So I wouldn't want to trade one for the other. I would just kind of like to see it. I think it'd be cool just to see, even if just for that little sequence. And plus, there's a certain amount of, of tone that the black and white would set, what kind of, or at least very muted colors that would would go really well with the pulp kind of story. And I loved, I loved Wolverine cut through the caveman and the, the five pages of guerrilla warfare. It was pretty awesome. We don't get a whole lot. I mean, we find out that that Shanna comes back to life, which is that's very, like, ooh, ancient jungle ritual brings a damsel back to life. Though, no, don't call Shanna a damsel to her face. She'll kick the crap out of you. She's a tough cookie. But, so we've been some of the rules, but in a modern, more appealing ways, you know, it's cool to have characters that are strong and don't just fit. Some of the old noir types don't really work anymore. But yeah, I thought, you know, it was really, it, it went pretty fast. Been a lot of really good action, but it's pretty fantastic. I thought, and I'm looking forward to seeing Wolverine and Hulk fight yet again, but I never get tired of it. So, yeah, like I said, the gorilla sequence alone is worth everything. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. It looks like we conclude this story next issue. So, be interesting to see how it goes. Overall, I'm going to give Savage Wolverine number four, three out of three claws. I thought it was a fantastic issue. It's a really enjoyable issue. So, yeah, Savage Wolverine number four, three out of three claws. All right, cool. Okay, so next we have 
the penultimate chapter of Extermination in Astonishing X-Men number 61, Extermination Part 5. Now remember, Laugh-In, Lou, and Pack are all in charge of this story. Of course, this particular story, chapter, I'm sorry, is written by Marjorie Lou. And we have our club extermination art team again. We have Renato Arlem, Klebs Demora, Matteo Bafagni, Raul Valdez, and Carlos Cuevas. And the colors are by Lee Luffridge and Chris Sotomayor, or Sotomayor, I'm not sure, with Andre Mosa. And then the letters are by VCs Joe Caramagna and Clayton Coles. And the cover is again by Giuseppe Cabancoli with Cam Smith and Rain Moreno. And there's a Phil Noto variant cover. This cover uh, has like a glowing outline in space of these new dark creatures. And we have our Wolverine embracing and about to kiss uh, Age of Apocalypse Jean Grey. Which, at least in this chapter, has nothing to do with the story. Which I'm kind of glad. You know, last time in Uncanny X-Force, when Wolverine took a team of, of our characters to the Age of Apocalypse universe, she had the whole, she's Jean, I love her. But she's not my Jean. But she's still Jean. Blah, blah, blah. That kind of went on. As far as the question of, like, our alternate reality versions of someone essentially the same person... Uh, maybe. <laughs> you can, uh, if you want to hit the Facebook or the Twitter, uh, give me your comments on what you think about that. Are people the same across the multiverse? These different versions of people, are they just different shades or are they different people? Anyway, I'm kind of glad they don't rehash that again. Uh, once was enough. So basically, what that's not in the story. What is in the story is Jean Grey takes on the Celestial Death Seed and becomes Feed Feed Apocalypse Nix? (laughs) Phoenixalypse? I don't know. Anyway, she becomes kind of Apocalypse. And she's going to use the power of death to fight these monsters of death. And we find out Sage connects with the celestial black box from the dreaming celestial to get kind of the this version of creation basically the celestials created the universe but it was a game they were lonely they made life from the darkness but they liked the symmetry symmetry <laughs> so with life there must be death so they created monsters to be the destruction and to erase their mistakes Instead, their creations turned on them, and the Celestials couldn't destroy the beast, but all they could do was imprison them, so they built the multiverse and then made one universe just to hold these destructive monsters they built. But then they didn't learn from their mistakes, they also made the Death Seed, but this one they could control. So I guess somewhere in Extreme X-Men and or Age of Apocalypse, there was a group of evil Xaviers. And somehow they weakened the bonds between the universes in the multiverse. That's how the monsters are able to break free. So then Age of Apocalypse, Nightcrawler teleports to our world to grab Sage. Because Prophet needs her in New Apocalypse. And so Jean Grey Apocalypse fights the beast and she's actually doing okay against the bad guys. And then Prophet decides the only way a Prophet and Sage concur. That the only way to keep these creatures from destroying the multiverse is to recreate the prison, but to do that, do that, they have to pick a universe to be the one that holds them. They decide the creatures are here, instead of risking them getting out to another universe, that the Age of Apocalypse universe will be the one that houses the darkness and closes it in. That's kind of, I guess, sealing it off. Of course, not all the X-Men are comfortable with this, but they decide that's how it's got to be. And Nightcrawler will be, Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler, will be the one that gets everybody else home to their respective universes and closes the portals. So the army of darkness, oh wait, not the army of darkness, the army of these dark creatures cannot keep expanding out and conquering. Okay, so I actually kind of like the origin of the Marvel multiverse here. It raises some questions that I'll get to. Uh, The art by committee was... Not bad. 
I don't think anyone of these guys turned in their strongest work, but it was all right. The story as it goes was also kind of okay, but I did enjoy this version of Marvel's creation and how the multiverse was fashioned. The Celestials kind of being curious and letting the curiosity get the best of them. That part was cool, though I wonder how this plays into the the Hickman story we're simultaneously getting right now in Avengers, where a whole other set of entities created the universe. Which one? There's part of me that kind of likes the idea, because we live in a diverse world, where people have different views on here on Earth, in Earth. Oh my gosh, I can't talk. Here in real life, you have lots of people that, that believe the world was created in a different way. I guess my thing is, though, eventually when we die, we're going to see the truth. I mean, not everybody, everybody can believe everything. Well, not everybody can be right. Right or am I wrong? I mean, will everybody go and find? I mean, the problem in the Marvel Universe, or the problem that I'm seeing with this, and maybe, well, I know I'm overanalyzing it, <laughs> but that's what I do. Um that these aren't just belief systems. Like, it's not just, well, Nightcrawler believes that God created the universe, but Thor believes the Asgardians did, or whatever. I mean, we're, we're fighting, in the context of the Marvel Universe, the reality of these creations. And they can't all be real. So I don't really know how to reconcile all that. Like, like in this story, we're fighting... You have the Celestials that really created the Marvel Universe. And these beings of darkness that they created that really destroy it. And then over in Avengers right now, concurrently, we have these, uh, what were they called? Um, not, not gardeners, but builders. Who used the Captain Universe power and really created the universe and now they're trying to destroy it. I don't know, It's it gets a little dicey at that point. But anyway, I... I like the idea of the Celestials kind of playing with the universe and separating it into the multiverse and then coming up with these walls to protect it. And the idea that they imprisoned all of these dark beings into one universe and kept them locked away there. That That is cool. The part about the multiple Xaviers breaking that apart, I can give or take. The fact that they got loose, now the story seems a little cooler to me. I kind of feel like the ending is going to be pretty predictable that the Age of Apocalypse will become the universe where these things are trapped and maybe we'll get more stories there as the people trapped there with it trying to fight it because apparently they're not going to leave. Like the Age of Apocalypse characters are going to stay there. Apocalypse Jean Grey is going to stay there and fight off these death creatures as they're trapped. So maybe we'll get those stories. Even if we do, I probably won't read them. But, um, you know, they could be there. They could be okay. And then the Extreme X-Men, I don't know what they're going to do because I think their series got cancelled. So maybe they're all just going to die and that universe will still exist but all the characters will be dead. I don't know. At least the characters we've seen so far. And there are guys that are going to return to their universe. And so I'm pretty sure that oh, there's going to be an extermination part two. Or number two. That'll be part six. That'll be the conclusion. So I I, I said before I wasn't sure if that was going to be the case, but it is. But I'm pretty sure that's how it's going to end and kind of everything for our heroes will be back to normal other than the fact that they experience this. That all said, though, I thought this issue, if nothing else but revealing that tidbit of Marvel history, made it more interesting to me. So I will give Astonishing X-Men number 61 two out of three claws. It's not the strongest two ever, but... This this is definitely the best chapter of the series so far, just for what it kind of reveals. So anyway, yeah, Astonishing X-Men number 61, two out of three claws. All right, let's move on. Okay, so next we're going to do an Age of Ultron update. Well, we have Age of Ultron book six and Wolverine and the X-Men number 27AU. I'm not entirely sure of what order I should cover these in. Basically, the Wolverine and the X-Men 27AU takes place literally between pages 5 and 8 of Age of Ultron book 6. I don't... You know what? Yeah. I don't normally do this kind of thing, but with this accompaniment piece, (laughs) 
I'm going to start Age of Ultron book six. And I'm going to, where we would, this story fits in when we're reading the X-Men, I'm going to switch over. So let me give the credits to all of it up front. And then I'll talk about it kind of as it goes. In the end, I'll give both my, or maybe, I don't know. Alright, so Age of Ultron book six is written by Brian Michael Bendis. The quote-unquote present sequences, which are really the future, but we'll get to that, are drawn by Brandon Peterson with colors by Paul Mounts. I'm sorry, Brandon Peterson does all the art, so he's drawn and inked. The past sequences are penciled by Carlos Pacheco. Pacheco? I never really have been sure how to say that. Anyway... And it's inked by Roger Martinez with colors by Jose Villarubia and lettered by VC's Corey Pettit. Or no, the whole thing is lettered by VC's Corey Pettit, past and present. And the cover is by Peterson and Mounts. And there are some variant covers. So Wolverine and the X-Men 27AU is Age of Ultron Road Trip. It is written by Matt Kent, which if I've ever read anything by him, I'm not aware of it. Paco Medina, I was happy to see as a penciler. I really like him. Juan Blasco is the inker. And the covers are by David Curio. I'm sorry, not the covers. The colors are by David Curio with Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by VCs Clayton Coles. And the cover is by Mike Diodato and Rain Moreno. And there's something called 1967 Technical Support, which I think they actually take some old panels. I think they're just saying that it was kind of spiced up color-wise maybe a little bit. Based on stuff redone. So that was done by Idet or Idet Winecourt. Which sounds like a really mixed up drink is wine cooler, not wine coors. And so the additional art in those scenes is by Jack Kirby and Joe Sinnott. And then also John Basima and George Bell. So we'll talk about that as we get to it. The cover of Age of Ultron Book 6 by Peterson. It's pretty sweet. Or sorry, by Peterson and Mounts. It's pretty sweet. We have Red Hulk. Storm and Captain America fighting a bunch of floating Ultron heads. That's a pretty cool cover. So, of course, remember that the Wolverine... Alright, so the, the heroes are going to go into the future and try to take the fight to Ultron. And Wolverine decides it's a suicide mission and he's going to go back in time to persuade with his claws, Hank Pym, from cre- ever creating Ultron. And I think he kind of knows, and, and Hawkeye and Spider-Man say, no, you can't do that. We know you're just going to kill Hank Pym, and we can't do that. Which, you know, I saw coming, but I think a lot of people saw that coming, so I'm not giving myself too much credit for that. Um, so anyway, we start off. So we have the art by Pachinko. In the past, Savage Land, Antarctica, 10 years ago. And Wolverine stumbles out of a cave... And this first scene of Wolverine looks... Anyway, we see the Savage Land and everything's alive. That's as good a sign as any, Wolverine says. Well, first he comes out of the cave and says, Alright, when the hell... When the hell am I? And that was kind of funny. And then Wolverine kind of... Peeks over his shoulders like, You can show yourself. And we see the Invisible Woman is there. She followed Wolverine into the past. And she says, I thought you sensed me. Mutant senses, and he's like, <laughs> "Well, that, Miss Richards, neither of neither of us has showered for at least a week." Invisible woman is like, "How flattering!" And Wolverine asks, "What she's doing there?" She thought she was supposed to go on the mission to the future, but at the last minute, she turned invisible and stayed behind because she saw Wolverine, the look in Wolverine's eyes. And knew he was going to try something like this. 
that the minute Captain America told him to sit still and not to do this, that you were, you were going to go all rogue and do whatever the hell you wanted. And so Wolverine asked her, are you here to try and stop me? And she says, honestly, I don't know. She says, in my heart, there's a right thing and a wrong thing. And Wolverine argues, it ain't that complicated. An invisible woman says, it's insanely complicated. It's the moral fiber of our entire... No, you ask yourself. This, Wolverine interrupts. Would you kill someone to save your kids? You know, I gotta say, looking at Invisible Woman's face, he, faces here, and Wolverine's face when he first comes out, I kind of have... I used to be a huge Carlos Pacheco fan. Lately, I've kind of had a love-hate relationship with him. I think some of his facial expressions are a little weird for my personal taste but overall i still really like his art and i'm still digging it here so anyway wolverine and invisible woman philosophize some more and wolverine tells her someone put a knife to your kid's throat you kill him there ain't no question this is that times a million one man's life for a million and sea storm says a billion and wolverine's like yes so you know what we have to do and Sue Storm turns away. I lost my children and, and my husband and my brother. And I didn't even get to say goodbye. Wolverine's like, yep. All that you're feeling, use it. Let's go. But then he tackles her into the jungle and tells her to turn them invisible. So she does. You'll see an old floating, almost looks like a Ferrari. It's like a Ferrari back with a Porsche front. Or, you know, I guess a Ferrari. They had light, headlights like that sometimes too, I think. But Nick Fury hops out and we see him go set up his base. The, the Avengers go to and are present. So Wolverine decides they're going to steal the car. So Wolverine comes out of the cave and his duffel bag is laying on the ground and his hover car is gone. He's like, you got to be kidding me. And he pulls out his gun, but there's no one around because Wolverine... And the Invisible Woman are long gone and they fly off. Okay, so that's where we're going to switch over to Wolverine and the X-Men 27AU. Now this cover by Diodato, I've seen pictures of it for a while. I don't like it. I'm a Diodato fan. And most of the cover is cool. It's kind of a greetings from New York, home of the Avengers. And it says, wish you were here and the wish was crossed out. Like, so it's a postcard from the past. The Avengers in the past, but <laughs> out of place, kind of in the picture, are our current, well, our current Wolverine with his not quite right costume and the Invisible Woman in her Future Foundation uniform, Fantastic Four uniform, the white and black one. The concept of the cover is cool. I and there's it doesn't really fit the story that there's not a time where they're all together like this, at least not yet. But um, but the idea is cool, showing that Wolverine and the Invisible Woman went back in time, and they're not when they're s supposed to be, but they're the Avengers, this era of Avengers. So that part is cool. And like I said, I'm normally a Diodato fan, and the art mostly is fairly cool, but Wolverine's hands are ginormous. He has like little Hulk hands that don't, Completely disproportionate to his body. And that kind of makes me not like the whole rest of the cover. So um, anyway, that's that. Uh, Paco Medina's art through this story is amazing. But I'm a huge fan of his. Um, really like it. And so the inker and the colorist, also Velasco and Curiel and Rosenberg did a really good job. So we see Wolverine and Sue Storm... In the hover car, basically this story, we get narration from both of them. So Sue Storm talks about how they've gone back in time to stop Hank Pym from creating Ultron, destroying the world. Ultron destroyed everything, my family, friends, everything. So we're going to find Pym before he makes Ultron, but then what? Sue Storm talks to Wolverine about the butterfly effect. The less direct action we take here, the better. And Wolverine says, I got it, Sue. No direct action. No worries. And he thinks we stopped him, but how? 
Dude ain't gonna just abandon years of his life work because we say so. And Sue says she worries what, what Logan will do if Hank doesn't cooperate. And Wolverine's worried about Sue Storm that she'll be too soft and she won't do whatever it takes. And Sue Storm says, I won't let him kill Hank. God forbid it comes to that. Says, it's a long car ride from the Savage Land to New York. Will we even be able to find Henry? So they're riding along and the car breaks down somewhere. And Wolverine, I love Medina's Wolverine hair and sideburns. That, if you haven't noticed to me, that's a big part of me liking an artist's interpretation of Wolverine, is what they do with the hair and the sideburns. But anyway, uh, they get out of the car, and they know there's a secret shield base around there somewhere that they can find a battery for the car, for the hover car. They need a power, a replacement energy cell, and then get on with it. They, they break, Invisible Woman finds the base... They get in through the door, invisible type door somehow. And they're going to split up. She's like, just get the battery cell. Small footprint. And Wolverine puts his hands up. Who, me? I got it. <laughs> of course, you know he doesn't. You know before he, he, the story is, is uh, conveniently interrupted by an ad here. And you know when you turn the page, Wolverine's not going to make a small footprint. So we see he's about to take out a guard. But he decides against it and makes a noise. Kind of like in uh, Star Wars, where they throw something and the Stormtrooper's like, Hey, what's that? Wolverine, uh, when Obi-Wan uses the Force. Well, Wolverine doesn't have the Force, but he throws a pipe. So the guard chases it down, and he goes, Small pro- small footprint. That's all well and good now. When the Pym doesn't cooperate, the whole damn world dies. If you, if you can go back and kill Hitler, sure. But if you can only go back to before he was born... Would you kill Hitler's father? Interesting question. Important question, kind of, to this series. Kind of the crux of this philosophy and Wolverine's mission. Will he kill Ultron's father, Hank Pym? So, Invisible Woman sneaks into the control room. She uses very small invisible bubbles to knock people out, to take their breath away just enough to put them to sleep. And here's where we get our first look at the old panel. So, S.H.I.E.L.D. is monitoring. The Avengers, the Fantastic Four, and the X-Men back in the old days. And so Wolverine finds the test tube, and they're working on some alien. He says, there's a damn Weapon X under every rock. To hell with small footprints. I'm not turning my back on this. And we get a snicked, and he cuts open the test tube, and he says, Sue's going to kill me, but I just don't give a damn. We're heroes, ain't we? Not gonna stand by and, and ignore Shield's black sight torture. And then the alien who just previously whimpered saves me. Well, now it throws up in Wolverine's mouth, uh, alien style, Ridley Scott style, with a big scorch. Then we switch to Wolver- uh, Sue Storm looking through the control room. She's trying to find where Hank Pym is. She's using the satellite feed. She sees him with the Avengers. Then she sees a young Reed. Then she goes back to the Baxter building. Then Wolverine is is swallowing what the alien threw up into him. And he's like, damn. And he decides he's got to cut himself open. And he does, and a little baby alien falls out, and he realizes that wasn't some innocent alien that S.H.I.E.L.D. is working on. That was the brood. So he's made a hell of a mess. And then Sue Storm sees an argument between her and Reed about how she wants to quit being the Fantastic Four because they can't have a family. And they argue and then she sees sees herself deciding that she can do it all. She can be in the Fantastic Four. She can be a heroine, a wife, and a mother. And that gives her determination as Wolverine kills the breed and the brood embryo that he cut out of his stomach. And then he sees the shield, and one of the brood embryos is turning into a brood queen. He's like, oh no, I did not just do that. But he did. And then Sue interrupts. She speaks into a microphone, and Reed can hear her in the Baxter building. And she tells him he's got to beef up his security, and apparently he does. And Wolverine's replacing the energy cell in the car as Sea Storm comes out. 
and she notices the blood on Wolverine's shirt, but they just get in the car and drive off. And she was now determined that they would do whatever it takes. And Wolverine is decides that she was right. We have to be careful. But as they drive off, Wolverine decides they're going to play it safe. Sue says, Logan, we'll be doing whatever it takes. All right, so that's the end of that issue. Art was fantastic. I liked the uh, the dialogue. This Matt Kent guy did a pretty good job with the kind of the internal arguments of Sue Storm and Wolverine. Thought it, thought it was pretty spot on, so I liked it quite a bit. So this, again, is another side issue of Age of Ultron that I feel like has been better than the series so far. Then we'll see if that continues here in book six. Anyway, I give Wolverine and the X-Men 27 AU three out of three claws. A fantastic ancillary story. So let's get back to Age of Ultron book six. So we go back to the Savage Land, Antarctica years from now, and our Avengers time travel team is there. And they see the Savage Land looks really beautiful, and they're confused why. We get another really ugly Captain America face as they realize somebody's missing, and it's Sue Storm. And Nick Fury's like, damn it! This is a black bag mission. I don't need soldiers going rogue. All right, following. Quicksilver, recon towards Manhattan. Go as fast as you can. Don't be seen. Don't be stopped. We'll be behind you just slower. And so the Avengers decide they're going to head to Manhattan to kill them a robot. So now we go back to the past. We're picking up where Wolverine and the X-Men 27AU left off. And Sue and Wolverine arrive in New York in the hover car. And they land and Wolverine already has Hank Pym's scent. He tells Sue Storm to stay behind. And we go into an Avengers lab where Hank Pym... The Avengers have just defeated the Dragon Man. Remember that was an artificial android that was shaped like a gargoyle. And Hank Pym is studying it. He wants to make... He's, he's surprised at how advanced the AI is. But it's not advanced enough. And he's kind of jealous of Reed Richard and Tony Stark with their inventions, and he hasn't invented anything since the Pym Particles. And he wants to be the next breakthrough in artificial intelligence. He wants to make a self-aware, self-sustaining intelligence that can guide the entire species into the future. And we get a voice. It just happened, didn't it? And Wolverine walks up. You just, right now, thought of a way to end the, to effing end the world. And I was here to see it. Ain't I lucky? And Hank Pym's like, who are you? And Wolverine says, I'm the ghost of Christmas future. <laughs> and Hank Pym says, you picked the wrong place to break into. And Wolverine says, listen carefully to me, bub. I come from a place not long from now where everything you love, everything, all of it will be gone because of you. I come from the future and in the future there is no future. We get a snicked. On one hand, and the Wolverine's face, and the snick in the other hand, that was pretty cool. He goes, that's the problem, Pam, where I come, everyone knows who you are. And I know enough to know, ain't nothing gonna stop you from being you. And any small chance you would is a chance I ain't willing to take. So he attacks Hank Pym, and Hank Pym grows giant size and grabs Wolverine out of the air. So we go back to the future. Back to the future, Marty. And the Avengers have arrived in Manhattan, and it's just nothing but gold Ultron bliss. And Tony Stark says it's beautiful. Iron Man argues with him. He says, oh, it's a nightmare, but it's a beautiful nightmare. And then we're attacked by floating Ultron heads. They fight against the Ultron heads, and they're not doing very well. They're getting overwhelmed. So we go back to the past, and Wolverine and Hank Pym are fighting. Wolverine gets a slice to the gut. And he gets in, he's about to strike the killing blow, and we see an invisible outline, and Sue has put a force field on his claws. He's like, I told you to wait outside! And Sue, who just at the end of Wolverine and the X-Men decided they're going to do whatever it takes, says, we can't do this. And I understand, I don't feel like it's an incongruency. I feel like it's one thing to have the resolve, it's another thing to actually be there. And her character would, would hesitate. So Wolverine tells her to go outside, and Hank Pym appeals to her, Susan, Susan Storm, what's happening? Get him off me! And the Avengers are losing in the future to the Ultron heads. And Wolverine yells, he killed your husband! He killed your children! And Sue Storm says, there has to be a line we don't cross. 
and Hank Pym keeps begging, and we see the Avengers are losing some war, and we even see an Ultron head decapitate Captain America, so he's dead. Our Captain America is dead again <laughs> in the future this time. And Wolverine says, "You'll never see your children. You'll never see your your children again." This ain't about you or me. It's about the whole damn thing. It's all gone, and for what? And Sue Storm starts crying. All those people. Susan, I swear, Hank Pym begs again. And then Sue Storm lets go of the force field and Wolverine in a black silhouette and red background slits giant man's throat. And he comes down below her and she's turned, Sue Storm turns away. Now what? And Wolverine says, now we go home and whatever's waiting for us, we know it's got to be better than what we left. And then next we have a really interesting cover by Peterson with Doctor Strange Hulk thing with a bunch of holes in him. Some kind of Captain Marvel. Some dude, I don't know who it is. Wolverine, but in the old brown and yellow costume. Uh, Captain America with an eye patch and claw, three claw marks. Wolverines. And then what looks like a hybrid between... Cable and Cyclops, maybe. From the Ultimate Summers. I don't know. We'll see what that actually ends up being. But it looks like uh, Wolverine's actions are going to have some serious repercussions. That said, this story... Yeah, alright, now we're realizing the potential of this story. Um, I feel like it started off pretty weak. I feel like the last two issues, you know, I felt like we're getting stronger. Now we're there. This is it. This, this was a great issue. And not just because it's centered around Wolverine, though that helps a lot for me, obviously. But we see, I don't know, just the story really picks up pace. I, even I know I knew Wolverine was going to come back in time to attempt this, I wasn't sure he would actually succeed, that that's where Bendis would go. But he actually does, and I thought that was pretty cool. I think stuff will eventually be changed in some manner, I don't know exactly where we're going to end up, and that's kind of exciting. I do know there will be some Hank Pym in Avengers AI, because I've already we've already seen the solicitation for that. But how we get from here to there, I don't know, and that's exciting. Uh, the art overall is really good. Um, Peterson made Captain America ugly, but his art, as usual, was pretty good, and Pacheco's art was pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm actually excited about this story now. It only took six issues to get there. But I'm going to finally give an Age of Ultron book three claws. So, I would love to hear other people's theories about, and opinions and thoughts, first of all, about what Wolverine's done here. I feel like it fits his character. I feel like the world was so screwed and so effed, and that he's right. Hank Pym, no matter what Wolverine and Sue said, if they had just left and gone back, Hank Pym would have still made Ultron. He would have thought that he could have done it right and done it better and prevented this bad future if he just, if I just changed this. And then they would have, they would have been right back where they started. So I feel like, I feel like Wolverine did the right thing. And not just, not just because I don't like Hank Pym. I actually think Wolverine's character would do that. So if you agree or disagree, please let me know and say something about it. I would love to hear theories on how you feel like we're gonna, what's going to happen next in this story. I want to hear some predictions. So if you have any, please send them my way. Email or Facebook or tweet. And all that info will be in the outro as usual. Like I said, I'd love to hear it. So, But I give both of these books three out of three claws. Age of Ultron book six and Wolverine and the X-Men 27AU. This story is finally like... Got me on the edge of my seat. Like, I think it was intended to all along. But now that we have seen where it's going, and we still don't have, like, a specific line-by-line detail of how Ultron did this from the future, but I don't really care about that anymore. <laughs> now I just want to see what Wolverine... I want to see the ripples of Wolverine slicing Hank Pym's throat. That was pretty sweet. So we'll see where it goes. So, Age of Ultron Book 6 and Wolverine and the X-Men 27 AU both get 3 out of 3 claws. I'm excited. Alright. Cool. Awesome. So, last up this week, we have Where's Logan? And Logan happens to be in the Superior Spider-Man number 8. This is Troubled Mind Part 2, Proof Positive. Written by Dan Slott. Penciled by Humberto Ramos. Eat by Victor Adazaba. Colors by Edgar Delgado. Letters by Chris Eliopoulos. And 
I guess it doesn't really say, but the cover is by Ramos and I'm assuming Delgado. Yes. And it's a pretty cool cover. We got a black background uh, and cardiac kind of standing over Spider-Man. I still contend that uh, Umberto's cardiac looks really badass, really menacing. I'm not sure what's going on with Spider-Man. He either... <laughs> um, he must be wearing a big dog tee as a uniform today because... Cardiac has this thing stretched out to the max and it's not ripping. I don't remember Spider-Man's clothes being that loose or that stretchy. I mean, I guess maybe he's wearing the old uh, Reed Richards, um, what's it called? Unstable molecules in his uniform, maybe. And that's why Cardiac can get so much room in it. But it looks a little overdone. But it's still a pretty cool cover. And like I said, I contend that I... Humberto may draw the most menacing-looking cardiac since he's been around. So, and I love the Eric Larson and Mark Bagley cardiacs visually. So we start off on Avenue A at the Heart Clinic, which, remember, is a health clinic for the less fortunate in New York. But underneath, cardiac is running a lab with doctors donating time and whatever on experimental... Uh, and radical procedures. And they had confiscated Dr. Octopus's brave wave scanner to try to help this girl with a, a brain tumor. Or no, severe brain, I guess brain damage, not a tumor. I'm sorry. And they have it on the girl and the scanner's working. But then we switch to Avengers Tower. Of course, the Avengers have asked Spider-Puss to... Uh, Submit himself to testing, and he has declined, so they're duking it out. And it's a pretty brief battle. It's just two pages. Art's pretty good, though. I like Ramos' version of, of these Avengers. It's Captain America, Spider-Woman, Wolverine, Black Widow, and Thor. And they, uh, the Ghost Peter distracts Spider-Puss, and the Avengers take advantage of him being distracted, and they put him down pretty handily. Ending with uh, Captain America slinging him in the face with his, his shield. And <laughs> saying, we're done here. Prep a bed in the sick bay. Then we have a nice aside where Carly Cooper is talking to somebody in the shadows. That she has a theory that she thinks she knows who's inside Spider-Man and it's not Spider-Man. But she doesn't have any proof and she needs help. And she knows how ridiculous her theory sounds. And it's someone that is uh, on a leave of absence, I'm assuming, from the police department. It might be, um, oh, what's his name? Is it Vin or Victor? It's a, a cop that used to work with Cooper and helped Spider-Man, and he got um, into some sticky situations. It might be that guy. Uh, his sister was Peter Parker's roommate for a little bit. So anyway, but that's just kind of an aside. There'll be more to that in the coming issues, I'm sure. Remember that uh, Spider-Man had told Carly, or tried to tell Carly Cooper, or flat out, that Dr. Octopus was inside of him, or whatever. So then we switch over, and Spider-Puss is on the examining table, and they're, the Avengers are giving him everything they got. And we switch over, and they're in a conference room, and Captain America says they have the results, and Ghost Peter's, like, super excited. But all the tests conclusively proved that there's nothing wrong with Spider-Man. He's not a scroll. He's not being mind-controlled or a puppet master or any of that stuff. And Spider-Man says, well, I could have told you that, and here's your proof in front of your very eyes. But then he alone notices a very small anomaly in his brain patterns. So he asks for the evidence. So he says, it's not often I get to see such a comprehensive look at my physiognomy. Physiognomy? I don't know how you say that. But his bio scans, I guess, is the word. And Black Widow says, well, yeah, I'll put it on a flash drive. I'm sorry we um we put you through all this today. But then Captain America says, in a very cool uh, panel where he's kind of in the shadows, his face. So you see his body, then his face is in the shadow, and you see yellow eyes and then the white A on his forehead. It looks pretty sweet. He tells Spider-Puss he's on probation. Basically, he just says, we're watching you. You step out of line again like this, and you're fired. And then uh, Black Widow says she knows what's going on, that, that she was on the mission with him when Silver Sable died on his watch. And right after that, he changed. 
he tried to kill the wizard, which he did. Spider-Man, Spider-Man was very angry and and almost crossed the line, but held himself back. But then Dr. O- Spider-Puss actually crossed the line with Massacre. And she says, you were just, you just kept pushing too far. And she wanted him to know that she understands and she's there for him. And of course, Ghost Peter's like banging his head like, no, don't trust him. And then um, he somehow manages to control his hand, which I heard a really good theory about this on the, uh, the Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast. Where it really, this, one of the, the hosts on there really went into detail about like the hemispheres of the brains. And while Peter thought he was controlling one hand, he really controlled the other. But this kind of blows that because he's trying to control his right hand and he actually does. And he can't control his language center, so he can't write. So he draws a doodle of an octopus and draws a little arrow to Spider-Man, a doodle of Spider-Man's head. Like saying, Dr. Octopus is inside Spider-Man. But Black Widow sees it as Spider-Man walks off and says... (laughs) For someone called Spider-Man, he sure draws a lousy spider. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Then Spider-Man swings away on his webs and he's relieved that he got the evidence and that he calls the Avengers that were there just a bunch of button-pushing monkeys. He's glad that Iron Man or Hank Pym or Reed Richards or nobody else is there to notice the anomaly in the brain pattern. And he goes to Horizon Labs, but that's not good enough. He needs something else, so he decides... To follow his spider tracer that was on Cardiac's armor to go retrieve his brain scanning helmet. So him and Cardiac fight in the clinic for a little bit. And he sees the helmet on the girl and he's going to grab it. But Cardiac says it was his fault. Or not his fault, but Dr. Octopus's fault. And Spider-Man tells him to explain and he says... Cardiac explains how Dr. Octopus repealed? Drew back... Part of the ozone layer that the intense heat had an effect on her since she had brain damage and, and complicated her condition. So Spider-Puss feels guilty and says, I can make this right. I know how to work this machine. I've studied all my villains. Actually, he says, uh, Dr. Otto Octavius was a brilliant man and my greatest enemy. <laughs> I've dedicated my life to studying his technology. I'm very familiar with this device. Then he decides he's going to perform the surgery, map her brain, and perform the surgery himself. So we get a funny uh, panel of, or a page really, of Spider-Man in his costume in scrubs and a surgical mask. It's pretty funny. But apparently the surgery is an astounding success. And Cardiac says, I kind of, I miss, uh, misread you, Spider-Man. Didn't realize who you were under the costume. He goes, you wanted to come back for this machine unless you really needed it for something else. And Spider-Puss is like, yes, but I promise to bring it back as soon as I'm done. He goes, okay, well then take it in good health or good faith. And Ghost Spider, Ghost Peter's like, oh, crap. And then the patient wants to see the doctors that saved her, both of them. So Cardiac and Spider-Man go in there. And the little girl offers up her stuffed penguin, a pinky penguin. And Spider-Man's like, no, no, no. But Dr. Wertha or Cardiac is like, it's okay, we got a replacement. And she has a little stuffed Spider-Man doll that she's hugging. So this kind of warms Spider-Puss's heart. And we see him sitting in his own brain scanner, mapping out his brain, thinking, looking fondly on the pinky and the penguin. He says, I've never received a token like this. Never had this kind of victory. Being a hero, this suits me. I finally found it, haven't I? The greatness I was born for. And Ghost Peter says, don't get used to it. I'm going to find a way back. And then Peter puts his eyes shift over under his helmet. He says, no, Peter, you won't. And Ghost Peter realizes that he can hear him, that he knows he's there. He goes, I do now. I found you. You're the anomaly. All of Peter's memories I kept in this head, taking on a life of their own. Time to put a stop to that. And he calls his robot and says he's going to do a parkerectomy. Next amazing versus superior. So that was a pretty good issue. The art was really good. We got the the fight with the, the Avengers was pretty short. That whole kind of tease was really mostly just tease. Like Spider-Man getting fired and fighting the Avengers. It was all, all kind of rolled down to be not that amazing. But it was cool and it was a good plot point. I'm kind of torn. Part of me wishes it would have been like half an issue devoted to a fighting Avengers, but part of me feels like that's what you would always get. So it's cool to 
have something. I don't know. Can't kind of go either way on it. To me, just the end part is super exciting that that now we're going to have like a mental showdown between Arno and Peter for control of the body. And that's really cool. And the art was really good. The colors were nice. Um, Wolverine didn't do a whole lot. He just kind of, he's, he talked tough to Spider-Man and then he uh, missed trying to slice him <laughs> once. So that was kind of it. But um, other than that, I'm going to say that overall Superior Spider-Man was pretty exciting. I'm digging this story arc. I really am. And really looking forward to number nine and the, and the, the mental showdown. So I'm going to give Superior Spider-Man number eight, three out of three claws. All right, well, that's going to do it. Okay, hope you enjoyed that episode. I did. Had a lot of fun stuff for me to talk about. So I hope it was fun for you to listen to. Alright, we'll just cut out to the business part. If you're on iTunes, go ahead and be the first to leave me an iTunes review. And of course, also check out the website, snitcast.podbean.com. You can get show notes and such there. Um, You can email at... No, the Twitter is at snitcast. The email is Yahoo. <laughs> what am I talking about? The email is snitcast at yahoo.com. The Facebook is facebook.com slash snitpodcast fan page. Yeah, that about covers it. So uh, I would love to hear everybody's predictions, especially uh, regarding Age of Ultron. Uh, what, you know, they talk about the butterfly effect. Or what's going to be the effects of Wolverine's actions? What clues do you take from the cover of the next issue? How are we going to get... What well, will things go back to normal? What would be different? What do you think? How will we get from where we are now to, at the very least, knowing Hank Pym's going to show up in Avengers AI when this is all over? So, give me some thoughts and theories and I will talk about them. I will espouse your views, give you credit, say what I think about them. Whether I think they're awesome ideas, or I won't tell you whether they have a bad idea, but I might counterpoint some things. <laughs> it would be rude of me to uh, just slam anybody, and that's not my personality, so I won't do it. But um, anyway, that's the gist of it. All right, well, I'll catch you all next week or so for the last week of April. Get all those books done, and we'll get ready for May. All right, well, see you later. Hugs and snicks. Bye. <laughs>